Chapter Twenty One of the Legends and Myths of Hawaii. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Reed Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. The Legends and Myths of Hawaii by King David Kalakua. The Prophecies of Kiaulumoku. The Career of Kiamuku, the Prince Slayer and King Maker. Part 1. The days had just begun to lengthen after the summer solstice of 1765, when a great grief fell upon the royal court of the island of Maui. Kamakamahehe, the king, had died very suddenly at Waiuku, which had been his favorite place of residence, and his brother and successor, Kahikiili, had removed his court to Lahaina. The bones of the king had been carefully secreted, the customary mourning excesses had been indulged in, and many new apportionments of lands had been made in accordance with the bequests of the deceased Moi and the will of his successor. Kamahamahihanui was an amiable sovereign but his reign was not as successful as that of his father kiahulaiki his right to the sceptre had been contested by his brother kawahia and he was secured in it only through the efforts of alapainui the king of hawaii subsequently kalaniopu the successor of alapainui wrestled from him the district of Hana and the celebrated fortress of Kauwiki and retained possession of both at the time of Kamahamahanui's death. The lands of the district might have been recaptured, perhaps, but the fortress commanding them was well-nigh impregnable, and Hana remained a dependency of Hawaii. Kama Ihamaanui's political wife was his half-sister Namahana, with whom he had two children, but as both of them died in their infancy, his brother Kaikili succeeded him as moi of the island by common consent. After the death of his brother, Kaikili at once removed his court to Lahaina where the customary period of mourning was concluded. It was while the members of the royal family were still in mourning at Lahaina that a distinguished stranger suddenly landed, with a number of personal attendants, and presented himself at court. His double canoe bore the ensign of an alley, and his garb and bearing showed him to be of the higher nobility his age was perhaps thirty years although he looked somewhat older he was over six feet in height and well proportioned his face was handsome and his hair and beard were closely cropped he was clad in a marrow and short feather mantle and around his head was bound a single fold of yellow kappa by a cord of hair was suspended from his neck a paloa or carved whale's tooth and his left wrist was ornamented with a bracelet of curious shells he was courageous courtly and in his best moods agreeable and captivating and was a splendid representative of the rude chivalry of his time as he stepped ashore and proceeded to the royal mansion way was respectfully made for him even as a stranger of distinguished bearing and his name secured him admission at once to the presence of kahikili who welcomed him to lahaina and set apart ample accommodations for himself and lodgings for his attendants who was this stranger 
he was no common chief who would have thus presumed to present himself at the court of the moi of maui and expect the courtesy of royal entertainment two generations before lono ihakapu who had peacefully inherited the sovereignty of the western side of the island of Kauai, while the noted kuali of oahu retained possession of the remainder paid a royal visit of state to the windward islands of the group his blood was of the best in the archipelago and his equipment and retinue were brilliant and imposing he embarked with a number of large double canoes the royal kalhula being over eighty feet in length and was attended by a company of skilled musicians and dancers he also took with him his chief navigator priest and astrologer and a corps of personal attendants in keeping with his rank in turn he visited oahu maui and molokai where he was entertained with distinguished honors and then set sail for hawaii of which kiwi was then king touching at hilo he found that the royal court had been temporarily established in kau and thither he proceeded to pay his respect to kiwi and his beautiful but volatile wife and half-sister kalani kawalelei he was becomingly received and entertained by the royal couple and spent some weeks in the enjoyment of the festivities arranged for his amusement the result was that the queen became enamoured of the handsome koyan king who was duly recognized at once as one of her husbands from this union a son was born who was named kiwi popo when the father returned to Kauai and there remained this son grew to manhood and by marriage with kumaiku of the royal line of maui became the father of the three distinguished chiefs who with kiwaiahilu were the leading captains of kamehameha in the conquest of the group at the close of the eighteenth century one of these sons of kiwupopo was kiamoku the warwick of his time the slayer and maker of kings kiawamoku's first effort in king-making occurred in seventeen fifty four on the death in that year of his uncle alapanui and the succession of his cousin kiawiapala to the hawaiian throne he became dissatisfied with his allotment of lands and raised the standard of revolt in kikaha defeated he fled in his canoes to kau where kaulani opu had for some years maintained himself in independence of alapanui joining their forces they marched northward defeated and slew kiawiopala in kona and kala ni pu who was the grandson of kiwi and had a valid claim to the sovereignty was proclaimed moi of hawaii it is probable that kiamoku's services were substantially rewarded by kala Iopu, but in his early years he was turbulent and hot-tempered and in seventeen sixty five he found a pretext for hurling defiance at the king and fortifying himself in the northern part of kohala kalalani opu promptly placed himself at the head of an adequate force took the fort by assault and crushed the rebellion with a single blow but kiaomuku escaped over the pali alone reached the beach secured a canoe and paddled out to sea 
night coming on and the skies being clouded he lost his way and nearly perished through thirst and hunger but he finally reached lanai where he found friends and not long after sailed from maui in a well-equipped double canoe and a respectable retinue of attendants he landed at lahaina and the reader need not be told that the distinguished stranger who so suddenly presented himself at the court of kalakihili as already mentioned was ki a moku the occupation of the district of hana by the king of hawaii was a source of irritation to kahikili and he welcomed ki a moku not more as an enemy of kalaniopu than as a chief who might be useful to him in the war which he then meditated for the recovery of the captured territory but ki a moku was not content to subsist upon the favor of kalahikili in his veins ran the blood of kings but and his pride rebelled against a life of dependence however attractive it might be made for him but he was without available lands or revenues for his rebellion against kalaiopu had deprived him of both notwithstanding his inalienable landed rights in south kona and he began to cast about for the means of raising himself again to the dignity of a landed chief his eyes soon fell upon the comely namahana widow of kamehamehuini to her belonged the fair and fertile lands of waihi but she was the inheritance of kahikili whose purpose it was to accept her as a wife at the end of her period of mourning this must have been known to kiamomuku who was thoroughly acquainted with royal customs of his time yet he paid such court to the sorrowing dowager and so sweetly mingled his protestations of love with her sighs of grief that she became his wife without consulting with the moi kahikili was naturally enraged at the union and was about to manifest his displeasure in a manner dangerous to kiamoku when namahana retired with her new husband to her estates at waihee kahikili's first impulse was to follow and slay them both but as namahana was popular with the nobility and kahikili had not been in power long enough to be quite sure of the fealty of the chiefs he discreetly concluded to leave to the future the punishment of the offending couple taking up his residence at waihee kiamoku enlarged and beautified the grounds and buildings and established a petty court of princely etiquette and appointments he was fond of display and soon attracted to waihee many of the more accomplished young chiefs of the island the mother and two of the brothers of namhana attached themselves to the household and a number of molokai chiefs despoiled of their lands by the king of oahu became his retainers he had carefully trained bands of musicians and dancers and his entertainments were frequent and bountiful in the midst of this semi-royal gaiety and splendor kahikili quietly crossed the mountains and temporarily established his court at wailuku but a few miles from waihee he had heard of kiamuku's royal style of living and desired to learn from personal observation whether it was inspired by an innocent love of display or designs more ambitious 
as kiamuku had rebelled against two successive hawaiian sovereigns and boldly seized the widow of a king in the very household of a royal claimant and protector kahikili had reason to regard him with suspicion and a week's stay at waikuku during which reserved courtesies had been exchanged between them convinced him that kiamoku was a dangerous subject but how was he to be dealt with he had committed no act of treason and an assault upon him would not be sustained by the chiefs in this dilemma kahikili resorted to strategy he induced kahahana a resolute warrior and subordinate landholder of wahi to embroil kiamuku in a difficulty with his own people to this end kahahana complained probably without cause that he had been frequently neglected by his servants of kiamoku in the distribution of fish after fortunate catches and urged his grievance with so good a showing of sincerity that many of his friends stood prepared to espouse his quarrel this done he armed himself for battle and the following night killed three of kiamuku's laborers being attacked in return he was at once supported by a party of warriors secretly detailed for that purpose by kahikili and a general fight resulted which lasted in a desultory way for three or four days in the end however kiamuku and his party were overpowered and compelled to seek safety in flight kiaumuku and namahana with her mother and two brothers and a considerable falling of chiefs and retainers escaped over the ika mountains and embarked for molokai but kahikili was not content with the escape of kiamoku from maui he resolved to destroy him and soon after invaded molokai with a large force kiamoku and his allies met the invaders in war canoes as they approached the shore a desperate sea fight followed which was continued long into the night by torchlight but kiamoku was again defeated and with difficulty escaped to hana with namahana and her relatives this placed kiamoku beyond the reach of kahikili for that district of maui was still under hawaiian control but in escaping from one enemy he was compelled to throw himself under the mercy of another he was hospitably received however by mahi hililima the governor of the district and was so far forgiven by kalaniopu as to be permitted to remain under the protection of the fortress of kawawiki where for some time in the shaded valleys at the base of haleakala he found a respite new to his turbulent life part two in a secluded valley within sight of the fortress of kawawiki with a few devoted friends and attendants kiamuku and his family lived unmolested and almost unnoticed for several years it was a season of peace between hawaii and maui and kiamoku spent his days in dreaming of wars to come and political changes that would place him again in a position more consistent with his rank he made spears and battle-axes and laid them away he constructed canoes and housed them near the neighboring beach he loved his wife who was content to share his exile and when in seventeen sixty eight a daughter was born to him kiamuku felt that the gods were smiling upon him once more and took courage it is said that the child was born with a yellow feather in her hand 
a symbol of royalty and she was named kahumanu and tenderly cared for in seventeen seventy five kala and iopu king of hawaii suddenly appeared in the district of hana with a considerable force and began to ravage the neighboring lands of kaupu kahikili promptly met and repulsed him however and he returned to hana and abandoned the campaign by re-embarking with his shattered army for hawaii kiamuku took no part in the brief struggle and was disappointed that nothing decisive had been accomplished the death of either of the two sovereigns engaged would have been to him a signal of deliverance but he was not disheartened he knew the war would soon be resumed on a grander scale and found partial contentment in the hope that it would result in changes favorable to his fortunes exasperated at his defeat kalaniopu spent nearly two years in preparing for a crushing invasion of maui in honor of his war-god kali he repaired and put in order two heus and instructed his high priest holae to maintain continuous religious services and exert his highest power to accomplish the defeat and death of kahikili he landed with six heavy divisions of warriors on the southern coast of maui but was defeated with great slaughter in the neighborhood of wailuku and compelled to sue for peace with him were the two brothers kiamuku kamiomuku and kamanawa who attended the young prince kiawalu in his visit of conciliation to kahikili after the battle kalaniopu returned to hawaii with what remained of his army and the next year again invaded maui and for several months carried on a desultory warfare with kahilikili in the several districts of the island he was assisted by the governor of hana and was able for some time to maintain a foothold in hamakaualoa and elsewhere kiamoku offered his services to neither side but remained a quiet and almost unobserved spectator of the hostile movements which at intervals convulsed the island and sometimes swept past the very door of his exile home in hana the proper time for him to act had not yet arrived and years of solitude had schooled him to patience it was during this campaign that captain cook the celebrated english explorer arrived off the coast of maui with the two vessels under his command exhibiting faces that were new to the natives and ships which seemed to be the ocean palaces of their gods this was in november seventeen seventy eight in january of that year cook had touched the group for the first time he had landed at Kauai and nihau and had now returned from the arctic seas to winter among the hawaiian islands abandoning the fruitless war kalaniopu returned to hawaii with his invading army during the campaign of the year before he had been assisted to the extent of a battalion of warriors by kalahana king of oahu among the followers of the ohahan moi at that time was the celebrated poet and prophet kialumoku he was a native of nauhaku in the hamakawa district of hawaii and was distantly related to kahikili being a son of a cousin of kikaulike and his father of kahikili from his youth he was dreamy and psychologic 
and spent his time in roaming among the hills watching the stars and listening to the music of the ocean some years before he had become attached to the court of kahahana and had followed that sovereign to maui in seventeen seventy seven he remained on the island after the return of kahahana to oahu and the year following when kaulaniopu again invaded maui the poet was found among his household although but sixty-two years of age in appearance kiulomoku was much older his eyes were bright but his form was bent and his white hair and beard swept his shoulders when he sang all listened and his wild utterances were treasured up and repeated as inspirations from the gods he was known on all the islands of the group and it was safe for him to travel anywhere he had been a friend of kiamuoku many years before on hawaii and when he learned during the campaign of seventeen seventy eight that the unfortunate chief was an exile in hana and had ceased to be accounted among the leaders of the time he resolved to visit and console him without making his purpose known to any one kiulumoku crossed the mountains and the third day stood before his friend in hana their greeting was affectionate and after eating they sat down and wailed over kiamuku's misfortunes then namahana came with stately grace to welcome the old poet bringing with her kahumanu who was then a bright-eyed child of ten he kissed the hand of namahana advising her to be of good cheer and embracing the child and looking into her eyes told her that his dreams that night should be of her and so they were for the next morning he solemnly sang in the shade of the palms that kahumanu would be loved by a chief of renown and become the wife of a king and what of her father inquired kiamoku is he to rot with his spears in hana no replied the poet promptly the great work of kiamoku's life is still before him he will become the slayer of princes and maker of kings one have i already helped to royal honors returned the chief doubtingly and by his favor i am stifling here in hana another and a greater is still to follow in whose service kiamoku will die in peace answered the poet who is the coming hero inquired the chief you will not mistake him when you meet was the evasive reply and when will that be ventured kiamoku no reply being made the chief continued well no matter when i have learned to be patient the predictions of the poet extended no farther but his words cheered the heart of kiamoku and when he left for lahaina the next day grateful eyes followed his footsteps far into the mountains returning to hawaii after his unsuccessful campaign of seventeen seventy eight kalaniopu remained for a time in kona and after the death of captain cook in february seventeen seventy nine removed his court to kohala taking with him the poet kialumumoku kialumumoku the next year feeling his end approaching for he was nearly eighty years of age kalaiopu set his kingdom in order by proclaiming his son kiwalau as his successor and naming his nephew kamehameha as the custodian of his war-god he then put down the rebellion of ima 
Kaakaealoa in Kau, and after changing residences two or three times for his health, finally died at Kaaliki in January 1782. A few months before the death of Kalaniopu, Kahikili learned of the failing health of his old opponent, prepared for the recovery of the district of Hana, which had been for nearly forty years under Hawaiian rule. Marching into the district and investing the fortress of Kauwiki, he finally reduced it by cutting off its water supply and eastern maui again became a part of the dominions of the moi of maui this occurred about the time of the death of kalaniopu but what became of kiaomuku and his family whose home for years had been among the hills of hana learning of the meditated invasion of the district and unwilling to trust himself to the mercy of kahikili kiaomuku fled with his family to the almost barren island of kahulawi where he lived in seclusion until the fall of kawiki and the death of kalaniopu when he boldly returned to hawaii quietly settled on his old and inalienable estates at Kapalilua in South Kona, and awaited the development of events, which he plainly perceived were rapidly and irresistibly tending toward widespread revolution and disorder. For more than fifteen years he had heard the clash of arms only at a distance, and he yearned for the shouts of battle and the music of marching columns the mourning for kalaaniopu continued for many weeks and rumors unsatisfactory to the kona chiefs were afloat concerning the new moi's proposed division of the lands subject to royal apportionment preparations for the burial of the bones of the deceased king were finally completed in double canoes one of them bearing the corpse of his royal father Kiwalao set sail with a large party of chiefs, warriors, and retainers for Honaunau. There it was his purpose to deposit the remains in the neighboring burial place of Haleakawai, sacred to the ashes of Hawaiian kings, and then proceed with the redivision of such of the lands of the kingdom as were at his disposal when off honakua the second day kiaomoku came down from kapalialua and boarded the fleet his avowed purpose was to wail over the body of kalaniopu his return to hawaii had become generally known and kiawalao regarded with a curiosity not unmixed with suspicion the warring and impetuous chief who had been first the friend and then the enemy of his father and who had suddenly emerged at a critical moment full armed from the obscurity of years what was the object of kiamoku's visit to the morning fleet was he anxious on the eve of stirring events to behold the face of the young king remembering the words of kialumoku you will know him when you meet perhaps but whatever may have been his original purpose in visiting the fleet when he left in keeping with the turbulent instincts of his life his thoughts were aglow with projects of rebellion hastening to kihaha where his brothers Kamiiamoku and Kamaanawa with Kamamehea, Kikuaupio, and other chiefs were in council. Kiaahumoku informed them that the destination of Kiwalo was Kailua, 
which place he would proceed to occupy after depositing the royal remains at honauanau this information he declared was given to him by one of kiwalo's attendants not doubting the truth of kiyomoku's story and believing it to be the purpose of kiwalo to occupy the entire district of kona which embraced lands not subject to royal disposal the assembled chiefs moved with their followers and occupied quarters in the neighborhood of honanau kiamoku now became a leading spirit in the events which rapidly followed the funeral cortege landed at honanau the remains of the dead king were ceremoniously entombed at hali a kiwai and kiwalao ascended a platform and to the assembled chiefs proclaimed the will of his father in the divisions of lands that followed the kona chiefs were not consulted nor does it appear that they were additionally provided for and kiamoku had little difficulty in persuading them that they had been treated with intended disrespect and hostility in an interview with kiwalu kamehameha was coolly received and the disaffected chiefs began to prepare for battle they selected kamehameha as their leader and for some days there was a vigorous mustering of forces on both sides an attack was finally made by the rebellious chiefs and a battle of some magnitude ensued kiamuku was again in his element his voice was heard above the din of battle and his famished weapons drank their fill of blood entangled with his spear he fell upon the rocky ground several warriors rushed upon him two of them attacked him with daggers while a third struck him in the back with the spear exclaiming the spear has pierced the yellow-backed crab kiwalo not far distant witnessed witnessed the encounter and called to the assailants of kiamoku to secure his paolola or ivory neck ornament the attention of kanma awa was attracted to the struggle and he sprang with a few followers to the assistance of his brother driving back his assailants at that moment kiawalo was struck in the temple with a stone and fell stunned to the ground observing the circumstance kiamoku crawled to the fallen king and with a knife edged with shark's teeth cut his throat with the death of kiawalu the rout of his army became general the victory made kamehameha master of the districts of kona kohala and hamakua while kiowa the brother of kiwalo held possession of kau and puna and kiawamiahihi declared himself independent of both unhilo kiamoku's brilliant part in this first battle of the battles of the period for the sovereignty of hawaii established him at once in the favor of kamehameha and raised him high in the esteem of the distinguished chiefs whose valor ennobled the closing years of barbaric supremacy in the group part three war soon occurred between kamehameha and the independent chiefs of hilo and kau but as no marked advantages to either side resulted kamehameha established his court at halaula in kohala and occupied himself in improving the condition of his people during the campaign he had met with some reverses but kiyomoku's faith in the final triumph of his great leader remained unshaken through every disaster he thought he saw in him that captain greater than kalaniopu of whom the poet dreamed in hana 
and was soon after confirmed in the belief by the definite prophecy of Kiolumomuku. Restlessly roaming from place to place, the old singer finally selected a temporary abode near Halalua, shortly after the removal of the court of Kamehameha to that village. There he was frequently visited by Kiamoku, sometimes accompanied by Kahumanu, who was budding into an attractive womanhood, and sometimes by Namahana, who regarded him with a reverence due to one whose utterances seemed to be inspired by the gods. Since the death of Kalaniopu, the voice of Kiaulumoku had been silent. He mourned over the distracted condition of the island and sympathized with the people in their enforced warfare with each other. Vainly, he had sought to penetrate the mists of desolation and disorder and catch a glimpse of what was beyond. No light had come to him through the clouds. To his prayers, no answering voice had whispered in his dreams. But the curtain was raised for him at last, and the shades of the future trooped before him in awful pantomime, in a voice wild as the wind sleeping through the gorge of Nuanu, he chanted the prophetic melee of Huakalani, after describing the horrors of the civil war, then desolating the island, he concluded by predicting that Kamehameha would triumph over his enemies, and in the end be hailed as the greatest of Hawaiian conquerors. The chant created great enthusiasm among the followers of Kamehameha. Kia Aumoku listened to it with rapt attention, and at its conclusion stooped over the old poet and said, I ask you a question in Hannah, which you did not answer then. Is it answered now? Kialomuku looked into the face of the chief for a moment as if to collect his thoughts, and then dreamily replied, It is answered. Such was my thought, returned the chief. I have some rare dainties from the sea. Come and eat with me tonight, and I will ask to be taught the melee you have just chanted. Kialumumuku made no reply and Kiamoku walked slowly toward the palace, trying to remember the words of the poet which had so thrilled his listeners. What occurred between Kiamoku and the old poet during their repast that evening will never be known, but certain it is that henceforth Kiamoku never doubted the final success of Kamakamehameha and when, in the summer of 1785, the latter retired discomfited from an invasion of Hilo, Kiamoku smiled as he said to his chief, Thus far you have only skirmished with your enemies. You will win when your fight battles. In 1784, Kialomuku died. For months the old poet had lived alone in a hut near Kawahola. He avoided company and seldom spoke to anyone. Feeling his end approaching, he one day announced that the evening following he would chant his last melee. Hundreds collected around his hut at the time appointed. They did not enter, but sat down, conversing in whispers and respectfully waited. An hour passed, and another, but the old singer did not make his appearance. Finally, the mat which served as a door was drawn aside, and Kiyomomuku's white head and bent form were seen in the opening. Seating himself within view of all, he began to chant a melee in tremendous tones. As he proceeded, his voice became louder and every word was breathlessly listened to. He spoke of the coming conquest of the group by Kamehameha, 
whom he designated as the son of kahikili and also as the lone one he also predicted the early extinction of the kamehameha dynasty the domination of the white race the destruction of the temples and finally the gradual death of the hawaiian people concluding his chant the old seer raised his hands as if to bless his listeners and fell back dead a great wail went up from the people and they tenderly bore the body of the dead poet to the heiau where it was accorded the burial rites of a prophet much of the last prophecy of kialumuku was preserved and repeated and by conversing with the many who listened to it kialumuku managed to secure a satisfactory version of the final song of the dying poet from the first of kamehameha's battles kiyomuku had not doubted the triumph of that chief over all adversaries in the end and eagerly grasped at every circumstance calculated to strengthen the conviction so believing his way seemed to be clear but what of kahumanu whose promised lover was to be a chief of renown and whose husband was to be a king she was an attractive maiden of seventeen and a few months after the death of kilulumoku and while kamehameha was engaged in peaceful pursuits at halalua her father suddenly brought her to court fresh sparkling and graceful and related to the royal lines of maui and hawaii she attracted the immediate attention of kamehameha and he disposed of the claims of her many suitors at once by making her his wife there was little in the appearance of the great chief to please the eye of a girl of seventeen his features were rugged and irregular and he held in contempt the courtly graces which imparted a charm to the intercourse with each other of the nobility of the time he was already the husband of two recognized wives but kahumanu was ambitious and with admiration but no affection for him she consented to be his wife kiaomoku was now persistent in inspiring kamehameha with the thought of becoming the master of the group he recited to him the prophetic chants of kilumoluku and brought to him the favoring auguries of the kahalas an unsuccessful attempt to recover the district of hana in 1786 was followed in 1790 by another invasion of maui when kamehameha completely subjugated the island and then turned his attention to kioa the independent chief of kau who had slain the chief of hilo and assumed the sovereignty of the southern districts of hawaii the war with kioa continued for more than a year and every effort of kamehameha to crush this last of his rivals on hawaii was successfully resisted for nine years kioa had maintained himself against the power of kamehameha and still remained master of kau and the most of puna treachery was finally resorted to and kioa fell the old temple of pukohalo had been partially rebuilt and a noted seer had predicted that its completion would give to kamehameha the undisputed sovereignty of hawaii the temple was hastily finished and kiua was invited to a conference with his opponent at kawahi with the view he was led to believe of peacefully settling their differences nearing the shore of the place of meeting where he saw and exchanged greetings with kamehameha he was about to land when kiamuku met him in a canoe and treacherously assassinated him and his body was taken to the newly completed temple and sacrificed to the war-god 
of his betrayer kiowa was a brave noble and magnanimous chief and the apologists of kamehameha have not succeeded in relieving him from the odium of kiamoku's cowardly act he was the half-brother of kiowala and his death left kamehameha the master of hawaii truly as predicted by the seer had kiamoku become the slayer of princes and the maker of kings but his work was not yet completed kamehameha was the sovereign of hawaii but the conquest of the group was still before him every circumstance however conspired in his favor kahikili the warlike king of maui and conqueror of oahu died in seventeen ninety four and a rupture had occurred between his successor and kaio the maui the moi of Kauai. everything being in readiness early in seventeen ninety five kamehameha invaded oahu with a mighty army defeated and subsequently captured and sacrificed to his war-god king kalikanipuli and shortly after received the submission of the moi of Kauai, thus becoming the acknowledged master of and for the first time in their history consolidating under one government the several islands of the hawaiian group the prophecies of kiolumoku have all been fulfilled kiolumoku the slayer of princes and maker of kings died peacefully as governor of the windward islands in eighteen o four kahahumanu became the wife of a king and died as chief counselor of the islands in eighteen thirty two the temples of the hawaiian gods were destroyed immediately after the death of kamehameha in eighteen nineteen but a tenth of the number of natives found on the islands at the close of the last century are now left to sing of the achievements of their ancestors who first made their home in the group when the roman empire was falling to pieces under the assaults of the northern barbarism end of chapter twenty one recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c